Do you want to be rewarded? There's reward in following God's word. You know that? There's reward. It's called a, a blessed life. It's a life where Psalms 91, where you dwell under the shadow of the most high God. And he is your Lord and he is your God. He's not your religion. He's not your tradition. He's your God who you know intimately and you walk with him. Amen. It's not about being a, a Baptist or a Calvary Chapelite or, or this side or this side, whatever. It's about being under his shelter, being a follower of Christ. Amen. So we see in the book of Psalms, King David's view of the Bible. And now what we're going to look at, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be starting at verse 13. And now we're going to see this same thing <clears throat> where Paul talks about the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. The authority and inspiration of Scripture. Now, if you read my email I sent out this week, I, it was titled, Why God Gave Us the Bible. Well, I changed it yesterday. <laughs> I changed it. And that's how the Lord works, man. As you dig deeper into the word, the word's like a treasure. And when you see something like, oh, this is great. But then the more you dig and the more you study, it gets deeper and deeper. So we're going to go a little bit deeper this morning. And instead of why God gave us the Bible, my theme is going to be benefits of studying the Bible. So y'all ready to get into it? Yes. Let's do it. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Help us to love the Bible more. Help us to love your word because it, it gives us faith. It leads us and directs us along with your Holy Spirit. gives us guidance in life. So thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. <laughs> Now, if you weren't with us last week, context. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verses one through twelve, talked about the uh, ungodly state of man in the last days. You can look up at verses one through five. It talks about how far man will go in his sin. Then verses six through nine, he talks about false teachers and how, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, false teachers will increase. And then verses ten through twelve. He uh, talks about persecution and how persecution, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, true followers of Christ will be persecuted for their faith and for them doing what the word says. It will all increase. And now, in verse 13, verse 13 is a, a transition verse. And now Paul is going to point to what will keep you in the truth. What will keep you in the truth, what will keep you from error, and guess what it is? That book you got in your hand. That's what will keep us from error, and that's what will keep us in the truth. So let's take a look at it. Verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. The first benefit I present to you this morning from verse 14, the first benefit of studying the Bible is this. It brings a deeper conviction. The more you spend in the Word, in your... Uh, just reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, studying the Bible, hearing the Bible at church and in other places, your convictions of what you know will grow deeper. You know, a person's life can be, a Christian's maturity in the Lord 
can be measured by their depth of going into the word. Because this is where real growth takes place. When we study the word and the pages come, the, the words of, on, on, on the, in the scriptures come off the page and they come into our hearts. And conviction, deep conviction, is when your heart is settled. It's when your heart is settled and you know what you believe. As verse 14 says, continue in these things you have learned. And what does he say? The NASB says, become convinced. It's like you're sold out, your mind's made up, and you know that it's true. There's no more doubt. There's no more waffling. And notice he says, you however continue. In other words, we continue throughout a lifetime of studying the Bible. This is not a one-stop shop deal where you just where you read the Bible one time and you go out and do life and you have these things. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to continue in the Bible. You have to continue. It's a lifelong journey. And check this out. As you continue to study the scriptures in your devotional time, in your reading time, going down the road and listening to it on audio, coming to church and studying the Bible, as you continue to do those things, the Holy Spirit will take that time that you spend in the Word, and what will He do? He will embed it in your heart. Folks, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's my heart cry as the pastor. That as I study the Word, and I spend time with my Lord in prayer and in fellowship of the Spirit, that my convictions grow deeper. That's a solid Christian. That's a solid believer. And for many years, for many years, I wasn't there. It wasn't there until I took this thing serious, until I took the bull by the horns. And I said, Lord, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after just studying your word, spending time in prayer and taking my faith serious. And as I did that, verse 14, Paul says, continue things you have learned and become convinced of. I became convinced of the truths of the Christian faith. And I can't be shaken. Let's look at the second benefit. Second, it's actually, um, it's a benefit in each verse. So let's look at the second benefit of studying the Bible. Verse 15, he says, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The second benefit I present to you this morning of you studying your Bible is this is this, my friend, is where you find Christ. This is where you find Jesus. Listen to what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, said, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. It is the cradle. We look into the cradle of Scripture, and we, we see Jesus. In other words, what he's saying, if you want to see Christ, if you want to see Jesus, Look in the Bible. Look in the Bible. The Bible, when you have faith, the Bible is a front row seat to the deeds of, of, of Jesus, to his works, to his words. By faith, we sit here and we read the scriptures and we, we see the Sermon on the Mount and we, we see what happened at Calvary. You have a front row seat. You know, I've, in my past 20 years, I've been to about five or six um, Carolina Panther football games. And the first couple games, I set up in the nosebleeds. 
And all I could see these little dots running around on the field. And this little brown ball going back and forth. And I couldn't see it real good. And I had to look at the Jumbotron to catch the real action. The last game I went to, um, they had Reggie White, um, Greg Lloyd, Steve Berline, and some of the old greats. This was a long time ago, if you know any of those names. But uh, I went to the game, and, and I was on front row. I was on front row right by the end zone, and they were playing the, uh, they were playing the San Diego Chargers. And the San Diego Chargers went to kick a field goal, and uh, Doug Evans blocked it, scooped it up, ran it back for a touchdown. Well, guess who's celebrating and dancing right in front of me? Doug Evans. But because I was on front row, man, I could see, I could see the beads of sweat on Reggie White's face. That's how close I was to them. It wasn't like I was up in the nosebleeds where I said these little dots, man. I could see Steve Berline's eyes lighting up as Junior Seau was coming in for the sack. And that's what it is the same with Scripture. You have a front row seat to the action. You have a front row seat to see the words and the deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not, you're, you're not in the nosebleed seats. You're right there walking with him, seeing him, and seeing his ministry. And it's amazing. Um, verse 15 says, it, it leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It points us to Christ. Uh, verse 15 says, uh, we're given wisdom. And we're given wisdom to what? The wisdom that what? It leads to salvation. You are a very wise, excuse me, not you, all men are very wise to choose Christ. You ever thought about how long eternity is? How long are you going to be gone for when you leave this life? Forever. It is a wise thing on this side of eternity to choose Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's the greatest decision the human soul will make. Because once we make that step from time into eternity, you're locked and cocked. Choose Christ now. Find forgiveness. Don't be under his wrath or his judgment, but be under his grace and his truth. We find Christ here in the scriptures. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, oh, this is, this is a, um, a, a foundation this is a cornerstone verse of the Christian faith. This is up there with the doctrine of the resurrection and, and his cross. Look at verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, cor for correction, for training in righteousness. The third benefit I present to you this morning when you study your Bible is this. Is when you're reading the pages of scripture, God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. That's how we have to understand the Bible as we read it. You know, well, you know, I understand. And sometimes from the pulpit, I'll say, yeah, and according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I understand that, or according to Matthew, we say that. And that's okay to use that lingo. But ultimately, the ultimate uh, author of Scripture is God himself. He inspired the authors to write down exactly what's written down with you in mind. So one day, Bud would have a Bible, and this was God's word to him so that he could know his God. And notice it says, um, so this is God speaking to you. And let's look at verse, verse 16, the first two words, all scripture. That's key. All scripture. Not some of it, but all of it. 
Leviticus, as much as we try to steer away from studying it, is just as inspired as Matthew. Okay? All of it is inspired by God and is profitable. Everything you can trust in this book. The, uh, and then it says, all scripture is, it says, inspired by God. The, the Greek word is theonostos. It means God breathed out. Literally, God said, that's how we view the Bible, is God breathed out based on 2 Timothy 3.16. It is his mind. It is his thoughts. It is his revelation. You know, this is where we hear his voice. This is a lot of times where I'm studying and meditating on scripture. The Holy Spirit will speak to my heart and he'll show me something in the scriptures. He'll bring a scripture, not just like, oh yeah, I remember that verse. It's not one of those deals. It's one of those things where the Holy Spirit says, bam. I mean, he just brings it to me. He overwhelms me with the truth of a scripture that deals with the situation I'm facing in life. And that's how he works. You know, this, 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 the, the Bible is where you hear his voice, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. He teaches us, he teaches you, he trains you, he corrects you. And sometimes, my friend, God will even rebuke you. He will train you. It says, uh, the, the NASB uses the word, he will reproof. Some of your translation says, he will rebuke. It means the same things. But he'll, he'll lovingly, gracefully as a loving heavenly father, he'll challenge you and change you and rebuke you and bring you back to the truth. You know, um, we, never, we never get to this point where we say, um, I, I can outgrow scripture, or I outgrow scripture. That, that's, that's not true at all. You never, you never outgrow scripture. I never outgrow scripture. If I study the Bible every single day for the rest of my life and I live to be 100, still, there's still more to be learned. There's still more treasures. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. It's like it just becomes a treasure trove of God's grace, God's truth, and God's reality in our life. You never graduate from the Bible. You never graduate from the Bible and move up. Okay? This is, this is the highest learning there is when we learn from Scripture. And it will carry you throughout life. And most importantly, what the Scripture does is it will keep you in the truth. It will keep you in the truth and it will keep you safe from error. It'll keep you safe from error and it'll keep you in truth. And that's what we need. You know, I want, I, want, I want my Christianity, I want my faith to be authentic. I don't want it to be based on religion. I don't want it to be based on tradition. I want it to be based on the truth that I am a child of God. And Father God in heaven, I trust your word. And you're speaking to me through it. And I'm praying back to you. And it's real and it's authentic. That's the kind of relationship that, that we should want to have when we, when we walk with the Lord and we trust his word. Let's look at the fourth benefit. The fourth benefit um, is, verse, is found in verse 17, the very next verse. He says, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The fourth benefit for studying your Bible I present to you this morning is this is where, uh, this is how God equips you. This is how God equips you with a strong faith, with, with, with purpose in life, so that you can know why you're here, how to be a godly husband, how to be a godly wife, how to live out the Christian life, 
how to live a life that pleases him. You know, he, he directs, the scripture says that uh, he directs our steps. He directs our steps by the word. Psalms 119.105 says, the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible is like a flashlight that goes before us. And it lights the path before us. And it shows us which way to go in life. And, and, and how to serve the Lord. And how to follow him. And how to love him more and more. And the gifts. Let's not forget about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, it's, it's when we read the Word and we see the gifts of the Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit gifts us a gift of the Spirit when we understand what they are in His Word. You know, how do we know what the gifts are? We don't just make them up. We have to go to the Bible and study them. We have to go to the Bible and study them and see and say, Lord, as you, as you meditate on the gifts, you say, Lord, what gift do I have? What have you given me to edify the body of Christ? And as you're studying, the Holy Spirit will say, that one, that one's yours. That's how I want you to build the body. That's how the Lord works. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He, he brings us to the, his word. You know, the, um, the, the word of God, it is the sword of the spirit, Paul said in Ephesians. It, it is, it, the, the, the Word of God is the sword that the Holy Spirit uses to change our hearts, to train our hearts, to teach us, and to give us gifts to edify the body of Christ. So those are the four benefits of studying the Bible. Many people look at the Bible as just some ancient book with no meaning, but that's not the case. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's alive. It's real. And what you have to do is, before you open your Bible, pray. Pray and say, Lord, please open my heart. Please open my heart to the truth that is set before me so it can become real and it can transform me and it can change me. But these are the benefits this is how he equips us. This is how he speaks to us. This is where we find Christ. And this is where we get that deep conviction of what truth is. And it enables us to stand solid on the rock of Christ. And not be moved by philosophies and traditions and atheism and other religions. We know what we believe. And you ain't changing my mind. And I know ain't, ain't a word, but I'm going to say it anyway. But it's, it's, it's what we know is true. Now... I wanted to, I normally stop at the end of each chapter, but I felt led this week to continue into chapter 4. Because chapter 4, verse 1, I'm calling this section, these are the marching orders. These are the marching orders of every pastor and leader. These are, now remember, um, 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's final book. After 2 Timothy is written, we know nothing else. Paul writes nothing else. And we know these are his last words to the church. So, you know, the last words are the most important. And look at what he says. This is strong. This is heavy. And this is what every pastor and leader should look at. Because this is, this is so important. Let's, let's take a look at it. The marching orders to every pastor. Chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is the charge, my friend, 
to every pastor, every leader, every shepherd, everyone that, that, that is a discipler. This is our marching orders. Do you, and, now, and what I want you to see here is just look at that very opening phrase. He says, I solemnly charge you. Do you, you, do you hear from 2,000 years ago the serious nature of Paul's statement to Timothy? He's like, man, I solemnly charge you. In other words, these are instructions that are not to be deviated from. This is the mission. In other words, whenever I read this phrase, um, how many of you ever been to uh, MEPS, Military Entrance Processing Station, where you join the military and you in, in the swearing-in room and, and you take you, you take the oath to join the military? As I was looking at this phrase, I solemnly charge you, it reminds me of the oath that every person that joins the military takes before they join the military. To, to join any branch of service, the first place you go to is MEPS. And they check you up and down physically, mentally, all that stuff. And then you go to the swearing-in room. And you go in there and you raise your right hand. And you, you, this is what they say. This is what they say in, the, um, in this room that you swear in at uh, MEPS. I, you state your name, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officials appointed. It's a very serious, solemn oath that a service member makes when they join the military. They, they are brought into this room, and they're shown the serious nature. You could be going to war. You could be assigned to an aircraft carrier in the Navy. You could become a soldier in the Army, you know, knocking down doors in Iraq. You could be, going, you could be in the Coast Guard and going to Alaska and, and rescuing people out in the ocean. But it's, it's, a, it's a very solemn charge that they're called to take very seriously as they join in the military. So much so that if once you join, if, if you go AWOL, you can go to jail. You can go to jail. So there's this very serious nature. And it's interesting that this, this oath that you take at MEPS, that Paul uses some of the similar phraseology in chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you. And, and, and this, it's, it's like he's telling Timothy, and, and through the scriptures, God is telling all pastors. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. In other words, God is the witness. Jesus Christ is the witness who, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by the appearing of his coming. In other words, in pastor, teacher, leader, in light of the return of Christ, in light of that he's coming back, not as a baby in a manger, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords, this is what you are to do. This is the charge. Look at verse 2. Preach the word. That's what he says. I didn't write the book. God did. But he says, preach the word. Be ready. In season, out of season. Repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. To me, the charge is simple. Simply open the Bible and teach it. You know, I'm very thankful that, um, you know, I, I got a lot of pastor friends, and, you know, I, I've heard these conversations. 
what am I going to teach on next? Or what am I going to teach on next? Or what sermon series am I going to go through next? Or, you know, there's, sometimes there's always this pressure. What are we going to teach next? What are we going to teach next? I don't have that pressure. And I'm thankful for it. <laughs> I'm thankful that I, I, I leave church on Sunday afternoon and I already know where I'm teaching next Sunday and I don't have to scramble and look. I'm just going to the next portion of Scripture. I'm just going to teach the next passage. You know, I teach, a, I, I, I go home, I meditate on the passage, I look and see what the theme is, what the points are, then I form my title based on the context of the passage and what's being said, and I just teach it. And I'm very thankful for that. And I, and, and I believe in my heart that as a pastor, I, I am obeying, verse 2, that I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the word. You know, pastors, pastors and leaders, we are not CEOs. We are not the boss. We are not your life coach. We are preachers and teachers of the word. We are preachers and teachers of the word. Our job, man, my job is just from one beggar to the other and to say, hey man, this is what the Bible says. This is what the text says. and This is how we apply it to our life. And this is how we serve Jesus. That's our, that's our goal. That's our heart. You know, and uh, to, to go outside of that, to go outside of that. Now, I'm not, you just, you need to teach text. You know, I'm not against topical teaching. I don't want you to think that. I, I love verse-by-verse -verse teaching. It is my heart, my passion. It will be the way I teach at Calvary Chapel Ermine. But I like some topical teaching too. But if you teach topical, just do it biblically. You know, systematic theology. Bring everything the Bible says to, together on that subject and teach it. I'm cool with that. But just make sure you're opening your Bible. Just make sure you're opening your Bible and you're teaching it. And to, but to go outside of that, I believe you're, you're not obeying his word. You know, the word is what the Holy Spirit uses to work on our hearts. And my hope and my prayer this morning that he's, he's working on your heart right now. And I'm just hoping, I don't know this for sure, but I'm hoping he's making you think, man, I love God's word. I can't wait to go home. I can't wait to my morning devotion and spend some time in the scriptures. I remember what Pastor David said about 2 Timothy 3.16, that it's God breathed out. And I know that that's God, the Lord is speaking to me, and I can't wait to get into my devotion tomorrow morning in Psalms or Proverbs or Corinthians and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. That's the hope and my prayer that he's, he's, he's working in your heart right now. Because people, it's going to come to a point where people are not going to... Um, Embrace what I just said. They're, they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They, you know, the, the Bible is going to be pushed aside. Look at verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. That's what the scriptures tells, tells us. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. As we move closer and closer to the rapture, to the return of Christ, people will not want the Bible. I don't know why. You know he's coming. You know he's going to split that eastern sky. Why not study his word? It's not like it's a burden. It's a joy. It's awesome. It's exciting. But for some, they'll just want a warm fuzzy. They'll just want a warm fuzzy. They, they want you to tickle their neck, tickle their back. It says, uh, um, wanting to have their ears tickled. You know, ears are, ears are tickled when we cater to man's 
felt needs above the teaching of the word. Now, I understand people have needs and people have situations they're in. And we need to address those, you know, and we address those through counseling and, and through teaching and through coming alongside and helping people in specific areas of their life. But for the Sunday morning service, where you're, 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 you're spreading it across the congregation and we're all here together, the teaching of the word must be paramount. It, it must be pri- prioritized. Um, so if you have a need, if you have a situation that, that, that's an, an emotional situation and you need counseling, you need help, let us know. Let us know and we will help you. We know we're dealing with broken people. We're dealing with hurting people. We're dealing with people that need healing. And we're here for you. And, we're, and, we're, and, and we, we, we are here for you. But for the Sunday morning service, for the pulpit, and for what gets scattered across the entire congregation of the fellowship, it should be the teaching of the word. It should be the teaching of the word. Verse 4. We're going to go to verse 5, and we'll stop it at verse 5. Verse 4 says, And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Um, they will turn from the true gospel, and they'll turn to... To gospel myth, you know, the, 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 as we saw in the passage earlier of this chapter last week, you know, false teachers will arise, persecution, uh, ungodliness will come about, and it will, it will infect um, the church. The, the, it will infect, if you, if you want to call them that, if they will, it will infect those who, can call, who claim to be Christian churches. You know, they'll, 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 they will, they will, they'll preach Jesus but they won't be preaching the Jesus of the Bible. There'll be organizations, there'll be cult-like organizations that say, oh yeah, we're Christian, but they have nothing to do with the Bible. You know, they, they teach a Jesus, this new age. They'll, they'll teach a Jesus that's not holy and a Jesus that there is no judgment. It'll be a soft, pillowy Jesus. I, I was watching an interview one time and this guy says, yeah, I was taken up into heaven. And he said that Jesus came up to him and they had a pillow fight. They had a pillow fight on the bed. And I was like, dude, that is, that's, I don't know about that. That's weird. That's weird. But I don't know about having pillow fights with Jesus. But we know that Jesus is holy. And he's going to come. And he's going to judge the living and the dead, as the text says. He, 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 he came to provide salvation. He, he came to provide this glorious good news that we could be forgiven by his substitutionary death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, he offers us new life. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn his salvation. All you can do is receive him as your Lord and Savior. Put your faith in him, and he will bless you beyond measure. That's the true gospel. That is the truth of what the scripture says. And this is the Jesus we are to preach. The, 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 the faith has been once and for all given to the saints, according to Jude. So still, we're talking about the marching orders to every pastor. He, so Paul warns Timothy, hey, there's going to be some rough times ahead, but stay the course. Stay the course and preach the word. Now look at verse 5. We'll, we'll close with verse 5. This is a great summary 
of a pastor or a leader who's in ministry, who's going through tough times. You know, ministry, there's always challenges in the road. There's always things you got to work around. And it can, sometimes ministry can be difficult. It was difficult back then. Sometimes it's difficult today. But look at what he says in verse 5. He says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. In other words, what uh, Paul is telling Timothy is, my brother, my friend, as you go off to pastor the church at Ephesus, keep it simple. Keep it simple and be sober in all things. That phrase, be sober in all things, it means think clearly. Think clearly about your decisions. Plan it out. Pray. Seek the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and, and guidance but do it in a sober spirit. Don't just jump into things, but plan them out carefully. That's what he's saying there. And then he says, but you be sober in all things. And the next one is endure hardship. Endure hardship. You know, there are challenges along the way in ministry. There are challenges along the way. You know, it's not just going to ministry and everything's great and sweet and you're just riding off into the sunset on the horse and it's all beautiful and pretty. A lot of times it can be ugly. It can be difficult. You know, our job is to minister to people that are hurting, to minister to people that are broken, to minister to people who have things in their life that's hurt them. And our job is to, is to apply grace and truth to that and, and to apply God's love and to apply um, God's word and to help them come out of that difficult time. Help them to come out of that hardship and to walk in freedom. Walk in freedom, walk in grace, and walk in truth. But there will be challenges. And that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us his word. And then in verse 5 he says, do the work of an evangelist. You know, everything should always center around evangelism in church when it comes to looking out. You know, we come together, we, we our hearts and our minds are focused on you, Lord Jesus, are focused on your kingdom and loving you and being filled and yielded to the Spirit. But when we leave here, the pastor, because these are this is the final charge to pastors, a pastor should sow evangelism all throughout his message. Throughout all of his teachings on a week-in and week-out basis, and his encouragement to the church, and in his example. You know, it's, it's all of our job. It's all of us, including me, to go out and evangelize and to bring people in to hear the gospel. So evangelism is, is for everyone, and it's, it's something that the seeds should be sowed throughout the church. So that we're, it's not just Rick and Dina, or who, it's not just a couple of people just doing the evangelism, going out, reaching out. It should be each and every one of us reaching out to our neighbors, our loved ones, and our friends, and bringing them in to the kingdom. And then finally, in verse 5, um, I love this. I love this, the simplicity of Scripture. I love how simple it is to understand. This ain't rocket science. This is something very simple that all of us can understand. And he says there at the end of verse 5, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy, as you go back to Ephesus. You know, when I hear that phrase, fulfill your ministry, the first thing that came to my mind is, a, is a something I tell a lot of the men in this church 
and, and other people that come to church and they say, hey, man, I'm going through this. I'm going through a difficult time or I'm facing this, I'm facing that. You know what? What do, what do I tell them, Maurice? Stay the course. Stay the course. I, that, wasn't, that wasn't planned either. Good job, brother. <laughs> but, but fulfill your ministry. I got it right here in my notes. Stay the course. Stay the course. Fulfilling your ministry, stay the course. And secondly, after you stay the course, be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful in your walk with him. And be faithful to the ministry that he has entrusted you to. And be faithful in your commitment to him. Amen? Amen. Wow, that was a great passage of scripture. I, I hope you were blessed by it. But again, the most important thing, my prayer that um, I prayed for you this week, and I'm going to pray again in just a minute, is that you will go home and you will love your Bible more today than you did yesterday. And that you'll love his word and you'll cherish it in your heart and you'll let it go deep in your heart. And not to be religious or to be filled with tradition, because I'm not about either one of those, but to be filled with the love of Jesus and the Spirit working in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, that we've seen that it benefits us to study your word, to meditate on your word, and to read your word. Father, I pray for each and every believer that's here this morning that God, it's, I talked about this last week, it starts with desire. It starts with a desire. Give us a desire and a love to spend time in your word. In the mornings, in the evenings, at every opportunity we can, help us to crack open our Bibles so we can have a fresh word from heaven. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. And, and we thank you for this time now as we've looked in your word. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with a song. If you're here and you need special prayer, please take advantage of this opportunity. There'll be some prayer counseling.